All right, we're in John chapter uh, 1 today, verse 14. If you have a Bible, you for sure can turn there. want to welcome the kids who are with us. It's a family service today. So kids, welcome to the worship center. I know that... You know, you're taking a break from LV Kids, but uh, we're super thankful to have you with us uh, this morning. Let me pray for us, all right? We'll jump into the scripture. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you, God, for your presence today. We thank you for the kids and all of the effort. And Father, how you minister to our hearts through them. God, we thank you for the giving of your son We're so thankful today to reflect on the incarnation of Christ. Thankful, God, that you demonstrated your love for us in absolutely unparalleled ways. And we pray today that our our hearts would be full, God, that as David said, that our cups would run over. God, that hearts today, as we reflect on uh, the, the great gift that you gave to us, that hearts would be healed and strengthened and drawn near to you. Father, this story never gets old for us. It is um, beyond what we could have ever even imagined. And so we pray today through the Holy Scriptures that you'd speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, amen. I like that. Uh, You know, it's been said, and we do sing, that when it comes to Christmas, there's no place like home. I'm not going to sing that to you today, but you know that that for sure one thing that we do celebrate during this time of year is the opportunity to be with family members, and um, and oftentimes, you know, we'll go to great lengths to accomplish that. A recent study by the Department of Transportation discovered that the average American travels about 275 miles just to make it home so that they can be with their loved ones during this really special time. Um, If you can't fathom what type of distance that is, that's basically traveling from here to L.A. Uh, Or if you're an East Coast person, that's from Philadelphia to New York, somewhere like that. And, uh, you know, sometimes traveling is exciting and it's it's fun and sometimes it's absolutely miserable. I don't know what your trips are like with your family, but... uh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe the four-hour, five-hour drive is just really difficult and kind of miserable. I don't know if you guys roll like, like we do, but basically I say to the family, hey, listen, before we go, go to the bathroom, because the next opportunity you're going to have is when we get to the destination, we're not stopping. This is why you don't want to travel with me on a missions trip, because, you know, I'm like a drill sergeant. Um, or, you know, maybe it's not just filled with a lot of different pit stops and things like that. Maybe kids are rowdy and rambunctious. And I remember when we would go on family trips, uh, we would get in our AMC Hornet. Like this was literally the worst car any American manufacturer ever made, the AMC Hornet. But I remember uh, five kids, right? There's five kids in my family. Mom and dad sitting in the front. No one's wearing their seatbelt because that's just the way it worked. It was a station wagon. So my sister and I were in the back. I mean, just, it was bedlam. It was chaos. And, you know, you'd hit that threshold where it was just too much for my dad to handle. So the hand, right? The, The hand would come back and it was like, oh man, do everything you can to stay away from the hand. But maybe for you, you know, you, you, you make that effort and you go that distance and you travel in a car, you know, that, that can be difficult. Traveling by air really isn't any better because, you know, it's chaos in airports today. The congestion is crazy 
there are delays, the probability that your flight's going to get canceled is really high, uh, you get that just totally absurd, wild person sitting next to you, right, that starts to tell you about all the different things they can't wait to experience when they get home for Christmas and you just want to take a nap. And then on top of it all, nowadays when you travel by air, you have to wear a mask the whole time. Uh, you know, the only time you can pull it down is when you're taking a sip of your drink. You know, it's just, it's miserable. Sometimes traveling, make, making the effort to visit family at home isn't always the easiest thing. But the truth is, you will go to great lengths to be with the ones that you love. Right? And Jesus did the same thing for you. He did the same thing for you. The love of Christ is not theoretical, it's not mythical, it's historical, and I just want to say to you today, it is absolutely unparalleled. I think one of the verses in Scripture that really convey to us the, the real beauty of the coming of the Son of God is John chapter 1, verse 14. If you have your Bibles, you can read this with me. Uh, I'm going to read to you today from the New Living Translation. And the Scripture says this, the eternal Son of God became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Does that scripture bless your heart today? Am I the only one? I mean, listen, I, I, read, I read that verse and it's like, what? What? You know, there are times where, where we, we come around to this. This time of year, it's a rhythm for us in our culture. We're, we're typically used to focusing on the incarnation. And sometimes, you know, if we're not careful, it's like, well, yeah, I heard the story before. I have uh, email threads and text threads that I'm on with pastors. And sometimes pastors will be saying to each other, you know, hey, what can I do this Christmas to kind of spice the story up? You know, because it's like, hey, I don't, I don't want I don't, I don't to just talk about the same story. <laughs> and I'm like, the same story is amazing. The same story doesn't need to be spiced up. Like, you don't have to add anything to it. It is absolutely, if your heart is paying attention, right? If your ears are tuned into the frequency of God's Holy Spirit, like, it is an amazing story. It's absolutely unparalleled. Listen, just consider these words. The eternal Son of God became human. Somebody say, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, hey, you kids can be loud. We like loud in the service. Um, Right, if you're responding to my point. <laughs> the eternal Son of God, yeah, became human and made his home among us. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, and then, right, oh, it's good. And then he goes on to say he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Yeah, C.S. Lewis said this. He said the central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation and then he goes on to say, they say, of course he meant we, but he's always was talking pretty much to the unbelieving person. They say that God became man. I mean, that is an extraordinary thing to consider. I just want to consider a few things from this verse, from the New Living Translation today, as we, you know, just really do dial in on some particular parts of it. The first thing is this, I want you to consider today how far he went, how far Jesus was willing to go. Uh, the, the scripture says the eternal son of God left heaven and became human. Yeah. Now, we, we travel maybe a measly 275 miles to be with the ones that we love. I want you to think about how far Jesus traveled. You know, if in fact heaven is beyond the edge of the universe... 
That means that Jesus traveled about 46.5 billion light years to get here. Now that's, I know, that's, that's a long way, all right? Next time you complain about a five-hour flight. Next time you're like, oh man, do I, really have to, do I really have to do that? I want you to think about how far he was willing to go for you. 46.5 billion light years. A light year is the distance that's traveled uh, over the course of 365 days if you're going 186,000 miles per second. That's the speed of light. So we're talking about, man, he, he was probably traveling really fast. Some of you might be thinking, well, you know what? How do we know it's that same time-space continuum in heaven, in the eternal, that it is here? Maybe it's multidimensional, pastor. And I say, well, listen, he transcends dimensions. He transcends, maybe some of you saw uh, Spider-Man this weekend. He transcends the multiverse. Like, he's over the multiverse. I don't know how it was that he traveled. What I do know is this. He was willing to go a long way to demonstrate his love for you and for me. Somebody say amen to that today. And you know, yeah, and it's not just the distance that he was willing to travel. It was what he was willing to leave. You know, from our perspective, from our perspective, particularly in these days where where oftentimes we're like, God, you know what? Just take me home, right? It is so hard right now to live here. It is so uncomfortable. There is so much chaos. There is such an attack against the truth. Uh, Lord, it just seems like every day there's some other issue, some other calamity or catastrophe or challenge. We just can't wait, and this really should be our anticipation, we just can't wait to be with you in heaven, right? To be in that place, to be in that place where God and the Lamb are at the center of all of the worship. And from them is emanating this great light so bright that there's no need for a sun, there's no need for a moon. Surrounded by uh, people from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation. Surrounded by angels, more than can be numbered, John said, 10,000 times 10,000. Then you add thousands of thousands on top of that. And not just ordinary run-of-the-mill angels, but the four living creatures and the cherubim and the seraphim and the elders that are there casting their crowns before the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like, you think about what heaven is and what he was willing to leave. He was willing to leave all of that. He was willing to leave the glory of the adulation of the angels. The seraphim singing to him, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come, the unchanging God. To be able to step away from the throne, not divesting himself of his sovereignty, but to be able to step away from the, the throne and come to this earth, and not just come to this earth, but to have his touchdown in a womb, in the womb of a woman, right? To be, to be consolidated and localized in a very single cell, and then to endure over the course of time the normal process of the growth of life. You know, it wasn't a comfortable palace that he came to with all the amenities. He did not pick an era where there were hospitals with advanced technologies. He was not under, at his birth, the supervision of medical professionals or the care of nurses surrounding him. What did surround him? Animals in probably a cave and then lowly shepherds who were willing to welcome him. You know, I, I think about this. I think about what he was willing to, how far he was willing to go, what he was willing to traverse. I think about the, the condescension from the glory of heaven to the, the womb of Mary. And for some reason, 
a Marvin Gaye song comes to my mind. I can't explain it, and I'm not going to sing it, but you know the lyrics to it. Ain't no mountain high enough. Sing it with me today. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough. And I just want to change the lyrics right here. Not that we're going to like create a new Christian song out of this, but to keep him away from you. There was nothing. There was no obstacle. There was no adversity. There was no distance that he was not willing to travel for you to have the opportunity to experience his love. The infinite, eternal Son of God, Christ, became a totally dependent infant. I mean, if that does not sincerely blow your mind, I don't know what will. To think that God himself, God the Son, the second person of the triune God, had localized himself in a dependent infant. Paul put it like this in Philippians 2, verse 6. He said, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Man, that, that is it. That's what we celebrate this year. You know, it's so good, this, the, the dialogue that the kids had just about localizing our focus this Christmas on what Christmas really is all about. Because you know it's easy to be distracted by what the culture says Christmas is about. But we as Christians really know it's about the coming of the Son of God. I want you to think today about the distance that he was willing to travel, how far he went. As we consider this verse, I want you to think about the difficulty that he was willing to endure. The Bible says it like this, that he made his home among us. He made his home among us. Now, we're children of the Enlightenment. So when we think of us, we think of ourselves in kind of an elevated, exalted way. We think, oh, well, God got blessed by hanging out with us. You know, because we're all that. How cool that God had the opportunity, you know, to, to rub elbows with uh, such sophisticated people as we are. But, you know, the condescension from the throne of God all the way to, to dwelling with human beings is, uh, is beyond what we could ever even imagine. You know, when Christ came, there was no celebration apart from the angels. There was no celebration. There was no marketing plan. There was no social media strategy. There was no red carpet that was rolled out for him. What he came to was a bunch of drama. That's what he came to. How many of you look forward to family drama over... I just want to observe the faces right now. Because you know it's like, hey, I got 275 miles to travel, and you know what I, I'm going to get when I get there? I'm just going to get chaos. I'm going to get the normal, normal family madness. And you know, like, when you have that that you're heading into, and you know it's coming. Hey, listen, sometimes drama surprises us. I pray to God that you're blessed with a, 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 a Christmas season free of drama. Somebody saying Jesus' name here today, right? But you know, the truth is this. Sometimes when we're faced with that, when we're looking forward to that in the sense of time, I'm not saying anticipation, but in the sense of time, it's like, man, do I really want to go through with this? Do I want to really get in the car and travel for four hours with my family just to have to endure the normal family drama? And he knew every bit of drama that he was going to be dealing with. And he still endured it for you and for me. You know, sometimes when we look at drama, it's like, man, I'm going to just avoid that at all costs. But you know what he did? He came right into the middle of it. And he wasn't, when he came, he wasn't welcomed. 
Like, I want you to consider this. At two years old, there was a hit put out on Jesus by a jealous politician. Right? There was a jealous politician concerned about his own power and authority. And so concerned about it, he put out a hit on Jesus when he was about two years old. And that was, it was so, it was so bad and so evil that, that in fact all the kids in the neighborhood were killed by this man called Herod. If it hadn't been for some old guys who came from Iran to worship him, right? I'm talking about the wise men. You know that they were old dudes that came from ancient Persia, from modern day Iran. And they rolled in and they rolled in with some gifts, some gold, some frankincense and some myrrh. Remember, we're not talking about three wise men. We're talking about an untold number of wise men. I hate to mess up your nativity scene, but, but you know, maybe there were three. Maybe there weren't. You can pull one. You can add one. It doesn't really matter. But there were three gifts, and those gifts were what subsidized this family's escape to Egypt. Joseph and Mary and Jesus were able to escape because these crazy old dudes from Iran rolled in with some gifts. And God preserved his son. He wasn't welcomed when he came. His life was filled with adversity. When I, when I speak of his life, I'm talking about his earthly ministry. His family disbelieved him. The community he grew up in rejected him. The religious leaders that should have received him persecuted him. And his own disciples at the very end forsook him. During the three and a half years of his earthly ministry, he lived as a homeless man he had no income. He didn't, he didn't own a closet full of clothes. It wasn't like, hey, what am I going to wear today? What shoes can I get to accessorize my, my toga robe? That's not what was going through his mind because he owned no closet filled with clothes. He had no pension. He had no 401K. He didn't invest in properties. He didn't own timeshares on the Mediterranean where he and his disciples could go and hang out and just get some chill time. All he had when he died were the very clothes that were on his back. And if you saw Jesus, listen, he was an altogether average person when it came to his physical appearance. In fact, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 2, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was in fact despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. When you think about the incarnation this year, I want you to just consider how far he was willing to travel and the depth of grief that he was willing to endure. And you say, well, why was this a case? Well, there was, in fact, a purpose that he had intended. And that's exactly how John wraps up this verse. He says that he was full of, and I want you to think about this, right? John's been walking. When John writes the gospel account, he's been walking with Christ for some 60 years, He's had time to reflect. He's had time to consider. And in this amazing verse, as he's talking about the power of the incarnation, the beauty of the fact that the eternal Son of God became a human and he dwelt among us, he qualifies the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ with these words, that it was unfailing love and faithfulness. Unfailing love and faithfulness. Listen, I don't know how, you've, how long you've walked with the Lord, I don't know what you've experienced in your life, in your relationship with Jesus, but I hope today as you take a moment and pause and reflect on what he's done in your life, you can say, hey, you know what? It has been unfailing love. Can you say that today? It has been unfailing love. He has been faithful to me. There's an ancient church father. His name is Augustine. 
Uh, he is uh, Augustine of Hippo. That's how he's normally referred to. It doesn't mean that he was a really big guy, uh, but, you know, a really smart guy. And there's a quote I want to read to you today. He said this, I think it's so good, you know, just reflecting on the incarnation and really uh, what it means. He said, man's maker was made man that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on his journey, that truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. He tasted, he tasted of humanity so that he could experience all those things for us that he might demonstrate his unfailing love towards us. Listen, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, reflecting on the two natures of Christ, that he is God and he is man, it was in fact his humanity that enabled him to put one hand on a holy God and one hand on unrighteous humanity and bridge the gap. I want to say to you today, there's only one bridge that spans the gap between you and God. It's not your works. It's not your religious observances. It's not your personal morality. It is the person of Jesus Christ. He is the God-man. He is the God-man. Now listen, I don't know what was going through John's mind when he was penning these particular words. I, I, do, I do wonder... I do wonder if in that moment he wasn't reflecting on some of the things that Jesus did. You know, the things that John saw with his own eyes, that John had handled with his own hands. I wonder in this moment, as he's talking about the unfailing love of Jesus Christ, if in fact he wasn't thinking about when Nicodemus came to Jesus. You know, Nicodemus was a religious man. He was the teacher of all of Israel. He was a Pharisee. He was a part of the group that ultimately not only persecuted Christ, but was really fundamentally responsible in sending him to the cross. And he came under the concealment of night. He didn't want other people to know that he was coming to meet Jesus. He knew there was something different. He knew there was something distinct. But in all of his religiosity, he was not seeing with spiritual eyes. Uh, this is a topic for another time, but you know you can be a very religious person and not have a relationship with God. Did you know that? There was no one more meticulous about his religious observance than Nicodemus. And yet when Jesus said to Nicodemus, hey, hey, Nick, you need to be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven, Nicodemus did not understand him. For all of his religious observances, there was a heart that was spiritually dead that could only be made alive by Christ. I wonder in that moment of penning these words of unfailing love, if John, in fact, wasn't considering the love that Christ demonstrated even to a particular group of people that were persecuting him. I wonder if John was thinking about the Samaritan woman, you know, that woman that was at a well uh, that had been marginalized by her community, this woman that had a deep need within her heart that she had sought to satisfy with many relationships. In fact, she was in an illicit relationship at the moment. And Jesus took a path not often taken, Jesus exposed himself and his disciples to risk by going the way to Galilee through Samaria because the Bible says there was a, a woman that he must minister to, that he needed to meet, that needed to hear a message, that there was in fact real satisfaction. 
true satisfaction if she would only draw from the right well. If she would dip her bucket, as it were, by faith into the life of Christ, she would drink of living waters. And that need, that deep need that existed within her would be satisfied for all of eternity. I wonder if John, as he's penning these words, thinking about unfailing love, the perfect love of Jesus Christ, was not considering how, in fact, Christ had reached out to a woman who had been totally marginalized, that would have never been ministered to by a Jewish man. I think if maybe possibly John was thinking of the number of lepers that Jesus had healed, and maybe even particularly that one that Jesus was willing to not only speak words of healing over, and you know that today, I just want to encourage you that today through the Holy Spirit, we can experience the gift of miracles and the gifts of healings. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But I, I wonder if John, as he was thinking about how Christ was willing to speak words of power over those who were aff afflicted with leprosy, was in considering in particular that one leper that Jesus was willing to not only speak words of power over, but to reach out and touch. You know, the, the, the leper during this particular era was totally marginalized, separated from society, separated from their families. They were literally untouchable because people would not want their disease transferred to them. Do you imagine the sorrow in this man's heart? Not being able to be touched by his loved ones, never having the opportunity to have somebody put their arm around him, to be that insulated, that separated. I, I just wonder what weight of loneliness and sorrow must have been bearing down upon this man's heart. Maybe he was in a place where he was thinking, man, God, it would be better, it would be better if my life was over. It would be better for me not to live any more days in this condition. God, end my life at that place in his own life where he felt as if his life had such little value, there was no purpose in continuing on until he met a man named Jesus, until he was touched, until Jesus spanned that gap, until Jesus broke through that wall, that obstacle, that social obstacle that existed, until the hand of Christ literally touched the body of this man. And, and in that moment, there were two healings, guaranteed. There were two he healings that took place. There was a healing of his physical body. Who knows what that looked like? Because leprosy literally ate away your physical flesh. I mean, there might, before his very eyes, there might have been parts of his body regrowing like a literal physical rebirth from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet. But then it wasn't just a physical healing in that moment. It was the healing of this man's heart as Christ was willing to do what no one else was willing to do. I wonder if John, when he's speaking of unfailing love, was not considering this moment. I think about Jairus' daughter. You know, Jairus had come to Jesus. His daughter was sick. And Jesus had said to him he was going to come to his house and heal his daughter. Along the way, there was a woman who had an issue of blood. And there was a throng of people that surrounded Jesus. You remember the story? She wove her way through because she knew that if she could just touch the hem of his garment, right? There was so much power. She'd heard the stories. There was no doubt in her mind she was a woman of faith. And she knew if she could just get to the very edge of his person, not even the physical body, but the garment that he wore, do you have that type of faith today? Do I have that type of faith today that there is power in the name of Jesus Christ? She knew if she could just get through the crowd and conceal herself and get that healing and go away, her life would be good. 
And you know the story. She touched the hem of his garment. He felt that healing virtue flow through his body into her body. He stops the whole entourage that's headed to Jairus' house. I mean, this daughter had a need. Jairus' daughter had a need. It was immediate. And Christ stopped. And he turned and he said, who touched me? And his disciples said, really? Really? Are you kidding me? Who touched you? You're surrounded by a throng. Everybody. Everybody is touching you. But he's calling this woman out to make a public confession of faith. All the while, the, the clock is ticking and Jairus is thinking, come on. Like, who is this woman anyway, probably? And then the message comes from one of his servants. Hey, listen, there's no need to call the, the master here because your daughter's dead. And, and hearing that Jesus said, don't fear if you'll only believe. Don't fear if you'll only believe. And so you know the story. He goes to Jairus' house and he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. Listen, he had always planned to do the work, but he had planned to do it in his timing because his timing's always perfect. You know, his, Jairus no doubt was thinking, man, this, this, if you do this, if you heal my daughter, what an amazing miracle. And Jesus said, oh, I'm going to do a miracle, but it's going to be way beyond what you can think is going to mean that you need to wait. Are you willing to wait? Are you willing to wait on God's timing? You know, there's a miracle. There are miracles that he desires to do. And sometimes in our mind, we think, oh, Lord, if you just would do it like this, if you just demonstrate your power in this way, if you just demonstrate it in this particular timing, and then, you know, he puts us in situations where there are other things that come up and we're, we're compelled to wait. And we think, we think, hey, the clock is ticking, you're missing your opportunity. And God says to, to you today, I'm not missing my opportunity. I'm waiting for my perfect timing. Because what I'm going to do in your life is going to be greater if we go through this process of waiting than if I do it when you want me to do it. Can you say amen to that today? So many other stories. Listen, so many other amazing stories. Of course, we think about the raising of Lazarus from the dead. We think about the man who was possessed with a legion of demons that had been isolated and marginalized by his community, that demonic so power, so present, so powerful in his life that even when they bound him with chains, those chains were broken. But nothing is more powerful than the person of Christ I have no doubt that the apostle was considering some of these stories when he used the phrase unfailing love. But the greatest demonstration of the love of Jesus, as amazing as these miracles were, the greatest demonstration of the unfailing love of Christ is the cross. It's the cross. You know, when, when the kids today were wrapping up their time and they hit some of these just profound and powerful scriptures, right? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Wasn't it awesome to hear those <laughs> verses from their lips? And, and listen, when we think of the unfailing love of Christ, all those stories are absolutely amazing, but there is nothing that compares to the cross. There is nothing compared to the cross of Christ where he was willing to do for you and I what we could not do for ourselves. Where he was willing to fulfill the words that John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Where he was willing to stretch his arms out like a, a lamb that was led to the slaughter, Isaiah says, but he opened not his mouth, almost as if he was intended for this purpose. And in fact, he was intended for this purpose. 
He was sent by the Father not to just live a perfect life for you to emulate or model so you could wear a WWJD bracelet. I know that's, I know that's like old school, old school, but, but you know what I'm talking about. It, it wasn't as if he just lived this lifestyle of religiosity or morality that you could emulate to somehow think that through that you could find favor with God. He was brought to this earth so that he could be delivered to the cross, so that ultimately his blood would be shed for the forgiveness of our sins. That, that is the greatest demonstration of God's love. Today, maybe you've been struggling with the concept of God loving you. Maybe today you're not a Christian and you've thought about all these words that Christians typically say about how God is a God of love, and you're trying to localize that into one single moment, I want to tell you where you localize that too. You localize it to the cross of Christ. Because when Jesus died, he didn't just die for everybody else's sins. He died for your sins. The Bible says that he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. And he did that for the joy that was set before him. And I do believe that the joy that was set before him was the forgiveness of your sins and your reconciliation to the Father so that you too could say that you are a child of God. Yeah. What, what does unfailing love mean? Do you want the deep theological explanation of this this morning? It means that his love doesn't fail. Right? It means that he was successful in achieving his goal. Nothing could keep him away from you. No distance, no obstacle, no adversity, no human resistance, no personal suffering. There was no personal suffering that he was not willing to endure so that you could be reconciled to the Father. I love what Oswald Chambers said. He said, Jesus Christ became incarnate for one purpose, to make a way back to God that man might stand before him as he was created to do. And then he wraps this statement up by saying, the friend and the lover of God himself, right? He came to bridge the gap so that you could be united and reconciled to the eternal God, so that you could be forgiven of your sins, and so that you could have the gift of everlasting life. He, transcend, he transcended from heaven to earth, condescended to the level of humanity, lived a perfect life, gave a perfect sacrifice, and was resurrected powerfully from the dead. Hey, that is, that is the Christmas story. Yeah, it is. And today we just want to encourage you to let the love of Christ wash over your life. Maybe today you're not a Christian, you've never really received the love of God through faith in Jesus. Today there's a gift that he is extending to you, that the Father is extending to you. All you have to do is believe. Today, maybe as a Christian, you find yourself in a place where there, there seems to be some areas of your heart that remain untouched by the love of God. Today, as we reflect on the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we want to encourage you to bring your whole heart to the Father, to open up every area and aspect of your life, and to allow the love of God to be shed abroad by the Holy Spirit in your life again, Romans chapter 5, so that you can experience the depth of God's grace that he has for you today. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. God, we, we are grateful, so grateful for the giving of your Son. And this story is never old to us. 
It always amazes us. Today we're astounded that you would love us like you do. And we know that there's only one right response, and that is simply to receive it by faith. Father, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would be ministering your love to every single heart, both young and old in this room, those listening online. Today, that there would be a connection that would be made. God, a, a deep work of your spirit, of your spirit in areas of our lives that remain untouched. Today, as our eyes are closed, as our heads are bowed, if you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, today is the day for you. We believe that today is the day that God has made for your salvation, for you to say yes, to turn away from sin in repentance, and to receive God's love. Maybe for you that's a brand new message, the idea or concept that God could love you. And yet this is the very message of Christmas. He loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son. Today, if you need to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sin and the love of God, right where you're sitting today, I want to pray for you. I'm just going to ask you, would you raise your hand? Just honestly today, you would say, Pastor, I need Jesus in my life. I want to trust in him. I want to receive his love. I want this new work that he has for me. God bless you here in the center, right here in the front. That's awesome. Here in the back, right here on my left. Thank you. Over here and over here on the right and right here in the front. It's awesome. Anybody else? Stretch your hand up high. Right here in the center. I see your hand and right here in the front. God loves you guys so much. You can put your hands down. Maybe today as a Christian, the truth is this, there are areas in your life today that, that really do need a touch of God's love. And you know what those areas are. God knows what those areas are. They don't need to be, they don't need to be spoken out loud. But the truth is this. Today there's a work of God's spirit that you need and you just want to open yourself up to receiving what it is that God has for you. I want to encourage you today. I want to pray for you as well. Would you raise your hand this morning? Thank you so much right here. I see your hand too. God bless you over here in the back on my right and in the center. I see your hands. Thank you guys so much in the back. Awesome. You can put your hands down. Father, thank you. Oh, God, thank you so much for these precious, precious lives. God, for the work of your Holy Spirit. And we pray today that all that you desire to do would be fully and completely received and experienced. Right where you guys are sitting today, I want to lead you in a very simple prayer, all right? And maybe for you today, it's the very first time you're opening your heart up to God very first time you're confessing faith in Jesus Christ. We do believe God is present with us today and he is going to hear the prayer that I'm going to lead you in and he's going to answer in miraculous ways. So right where you're sitting today, I want to lead you in this very simple prayer. I'm going to ask you to repeat it out loud after me. Dear God, today I trust in you and I believe in Jesus that he died for me, that he rose again. 
And I receive your forgiveness, your mercy, and your love. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen.